0: This is the New York Angler Fishing Podcast, brought to you by nyangler.com, your secret spot online. Hosted by the man who introduced New Yorkers to the world of online fishing, Mr. George Skaka. Hello
1: and welcome everyone to another episode of the New York Fishing Podcast. My name is George Skaka and I will be your host here again. This is podcast number eight on the internet You get to number eight, and they say you can make it after that. We'll have to see how that goes. But I do try to bring you uh, great content, and I can tell by the feedback that you folks really do enjoy the show. The support has been overwhelming, and I have to say I really do enjoy doing this. I get to speak to uh, some great people, people I've known for years, and some I'm just getting to know. So uh, before we begin, I would like to um, discuss something that's kind of bugging me a little bit in that all of this attention being uh, brought at Stripe Bass. And I'd like to put this into perspective, into some perspective. The last go around, it, it was a long time ago. Yes, it was in the 80s. When striped bass were in trouble, those fish were like non existent. There was there was no such thing as overfishing striped bass. You couldn't do it because they weren't there. We're in a different era now. They're basically what they're telling us is we're catching too many. So they're cutting back on the ways we can catch them and the numbers of fish, and they're trying to keep the biomass at a certain number which is very important don't get me wrong but it's all this hoopla about the striped bass has taken our eye off the ball and I called this many years ago as we are now experiencing the worst blue fishing we have ever seen in New York waters I'm sure there's going to be people out there oh you're crazy but I've been around this thing for a long long time And I've spoken with many captains. And if you are not catching bluefish in the gut, something's wrong. I mean, I think we can all admit that. There are more bunker than ever before. We can't use bait as an excuse. I have never seen so many bunker that aren't bothered. They're just kind of swimming all around. Uh, Years ago, uh, people would complain that there were too many bluefish around. So this episode centers around Bluefish, where we're at, where we're going, and we're seeing some very big changes. And honestly, I can't say I disagree when I look at the numbers. I do have a a big problem with uh, one of the pieces of the bill, which I did at the time when it was written. People said I was kind of nuts, but I wasn't the only one. Myself and Tom Fody were very concerned about uh, what they call a transfer. Now, uh, what happens is they come up with a number of bluefish that, that you can kill. So they say, okay, the wrecks can have these and the commercial guys can have those. But if the wrecks don't take all those, whatever they don't take or a percentage of what they take, we're going to give to the commercial fishery. So, you know, this I'm not like accusing anyone of being bad. It's the system. That's the way it works. So, but when the bill was written, we did have an opportunity to stop that transfer. And I I tried hard. We didn't get it done. So I, I I don't think we had enough support. Uh, I do think we have support today to change that, but I'll get into that in a few minutes. So What happened over the years is, well, let me get back to the difference between bluefish and the striped bass. So so yeah, okay, striped bass are in trouble. But basically, they're in trouble because there's so many that we're catching too many. I mean, basically, that's what it comes down to. So we're catching too many. If you look at the numbers, yes, they've dipped, but they haven't dipped that bad. All this hoopla and screaming and recreational people pointing the finger, recreational people. We're not going to get anything done. Because like it or not, face it, it's a recreational fish. The commercial fishermen do not take that many fish. They just don't. And the biggest lie is Jersey, oh, they do everything they can to keep their fish New Jersey, the fact is, New Jersey actually saves more striped bass than any state on the coast. And all you have to do is look at the fact that they keep just approximately 250,000 pounds of fish that was supposed to go to the commercial fishery. He brought that to the recreational fishery. But of that 250,000 pounds, you only have like 2,500 pounds a year of those fish actually taken by recreational fishermen. So if that was a commercial fishery, they'd be dragged, they'd be gill netted. They'd be taken in ways that mortality, they talk about our mortality. Our mortality, they say is 10% at gill net in New York Is 46%. So, how would you rather it targeted? So, I'm so tired of people pointing at New Jersey. New Jersey is huge. They have more anglers, I think, than most anyone in this region. And they fish more than most people do. They have better regulations. They have more time on the water. They have it better. And, best and most of all, They've done something that New York could never do, and we've tried since the 60s, and that is make striped bass a game fish. So I say, let's make striped bass a game fish in New York and then take, I don't know, I think it's 600,000 or 700,000 pounds that they get, take those fish and give them to recreational anglers give everybody some. Give charter boats some. Give everybody some. Why pick on New Jersey? So let's get back to the difference in the fisheries. Right now, the problem with bluefish is we're not catching any. It's a big difference between overfishing and underfishing. So if you look at the charts and you put bass next to bluefish, you would be astonished. Bluefish have fallen off the map. Why? Who knows? Nobody knows. Um, I know many people believe that it's cyclical. Maybe it is. It could be cyclical. Um, But I tell you what, here's my problem with the original plan. In 2001, three and a half million pounds of fish that recreational anglers, I don't know if it was all of them or a percentage, I, I forget exactly how it's billed, but three and a half million pounds of fish, which we decided not to take. Okay, now I want you, I want you to realize one thing. Sadly, this includes the fish that you release. It's true. It's sad, but it's true because I see time and time again, Facebook, Instagram, magazines, everywhere, uh, people talk about releasing fish and how good it is to release fish. And yes, a fish definitely has a better chance if you release it than put it in the cooler. But do you want to release a bluefish knowing that that fish will actually add one more fish to the quota of the commercial fishery? So now I'm not trying to make the commercial fishery any kind of bad person here, not by any means, but that's a recreational fish, always has been and needs to be kept as such. But as you go down the line and you look, 2002, almost six million pounds, 2003, almost five million pounds, 2004, five million pounds. It's in and around five million pounds every single year from 2000 to 17. So you could do the math on your own and you can figure out how many fish that we released because we wanted that fish to survive, but we basically allowed that fish to swim into the net of a commercial fisherman. I want you to think about that one for a minute because it is true. That's one of my biggest problems with fisheries management. There is no incentive to save fish. Oh, I saved the striped bass today because it was this size. Oh, yeah. Well, when it gets down to that other state, they're going to kill it anyway. So, I mean, the whole system is kind of crazy. But, you know, what, what we're dealing with, why are we transferring fish when the fishery is crashed? Because it is. It's crashed. I think you will agree that you will not find many pictures on anywhere, social media, anywhere, of people holding bluefish this year. They just weren't around. So something needs to be done there, and something will be done. There are drastic measures being taken and drawn up in meetings everywhere. I had the pleasure of speaking with Dustin Colson Leaning, he's the fishery management plan coordinator for bluefish, northern shrimp, summer flounder, scup, and the all but missing winter flounder. That's not his fault, I could guarantee you that. That's been coming for a long time, but Dustin does speak with me and he opens up about the Bluefish situation and how the ASMFC is responding uh, to the this overall basic uh, disappearance of Bluefish that we have seen. And I would like to thank him for taking the time with us and I do appreciate him and I'm saying all this because I do hope I can get him back on another podcast and we could talk about Summer Flounder and Scup. So anyway, here we go. Dustin Colson-Leaning speaking about how the ASMFC is handling bluefish. And Dustin, I'd like to welcome you to the show and really thank you for taking the time out uh to inform our listeners on the future of the bluefish fishery happy to george thanks for having me yeah it's uh it's a really important fish here in new york you know uh, we kind of always took it for granted there's bluefish everywhere they're around all the time i've heard them referred to as the nuisance fish many times and I don't think there's a listener that would argue that bluefish, pound for pound, is the best fighting fish we have here in New York. So it's very important to me and our listeners that we find out what the heck is going on. And, you know, I'd like to, you know, kind of give them an idea on the process, right? So um uh, you're recommending you know, three fish for wreck anglers, five fish for um for I guess charter boat or boat uh boats for hire. And it's obviously drastic from from where uh we were at. So the first question I want to have and just in an effort to explain how uh you know all these different acronyms work, um the uh the, you were, the, I'm sorry, the ASMFC recommended, uh, to, uh, was recommended by the FAC, um, the fishery uh, advisory council, to, um, at the MAC, I'm sorry, let me, I got all screwed up, hold on one second, I'm going to do, no, it. I don't know why I'm getting this stupid, these stupid notifications, I got to turn that off.
0: The acronyms can be a little bit of alphabet soup sometimes.
1: Yeah. Well, you know what threw me off was, I don't know if you heard that sound, but I got a sound in here, so maybe it's just on my end. So I guess you didn't pick
0: it up. No, it was clear on my end, uh, but yeah. Okay, great. All right. So, yeah, I wrote down
1: FAC instead
0: of Mid-Atlantic Council.
1: How stupid was that? Okay. All right. For our listeners, I'd like to get into how it works. And in the release that the uh, ASMFC had put out, they mentioned that they were going to abide by the Mid-Atlantic Council recommendation. Can you just give us a little explanation, like, how that works? Do the the two groups work together? What group represents what, like, uh, the Mid-Atlantic Council? uh, What role do they play in the bluefish management?
0: Yeah, good question. Um, So the Mid-Atlantic Fishery Management Council, um, I I tend to just use the term council here, uh, just because it's nice and Um, (laughs) And the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission can succinctly be said as just the commission, just to keep things simple. Mm -hmm. The council and the commission jointly manage bluefish. Um, The commission, um, which I work for, I'm a Fishery Management Plan Coordinator, manages state waters zero to three miles from shore, and the Council manages federal waters extending three to 200 miles from shore. Um, Now, as you know, fish pass between these boundaries not knowing of these boundaries, so with a highly migratory species like bluefish, um, both bodies jointly manage the species. Um, And so the motion was made at the December meeting um, to go with the three fish bag limit, uh, for the shore and private anglers and a five-fish bag limit for the four hire sector as a, as a joint decision. Um, so in the language uh, in our press release, you'll see that the commission approved um, this action and right. uh, next to the council it says that they recommended an action. Um, and this kind of nuance in language is because when the commission approves the motion, the action is final. Um, But when the Council approves a motion, that action serves as a recommendation um, to be approved by NOAA Fisheries, the Greater Atlantic Regional Fisheries Administrator Office. Um, So not to get too bogged down into the bureaucracy of of things, but um, when the Commission approves something, it's final, and when the Council approves something, a motion, it must first go through NOAA to be approved. So before it becomes a final action. Um, So they jointly uh, deliberated on the subject and um, jointly decided that this is the path that they would move forward. I got it. Okay,
1: so let's talk a little bit about the history of the fishery. So years ago I c you know, I forget. <laughs> I tend to forget, but I believe it was in the nineties at some time, um when there was a I don't know, amendment or amendment or maybe a new plan, uh which involved transferring the uh wreck uh you know, the 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 fish that the wrecks aren't using over to the commercial side. Right. So how does uh what's the rationale behind that thinking um and where did we end up as recreational you know I'm a recreational guy so it matters to me if we lost the percentage there um or you know how it worked out so can, can you give us an idea on on how and why uh something like that uh, would be used in fisheries management
0: Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, so, you're right, uh, Amendment 1 uh, established the ability for a sector transfer um, starting in 2000. Um, and then since that time uh, when the recreational sector is projected based on the prior year's landings on catch, that they wouldn't exceed the recreational harvest limit in the upcoming year, um, a sector transfer was allowed. Up to a caps amount of 10.5 million pounds to the commercial sector. Um, now, this is only done, like I said, when the recreational harvest is is project, projected to be under uh, the limit set forth uh, by the commission and the council. Um, so it's okay. not doesn't happen every year, and it especially does not happen in a year where the stock is deemed to be overfished and when the recreational catch is bumping up against that limit. So no transfer will be occurring in 2020. And now that the stock has received an overfish designation, it is highly unlikely that a sector transfer would be allowed in the coming years unless we see some unexpected big dip in uh, recreational effort. Um, but as okay. you think, the bluefish is a pretty prominent targeted species so it's it's unlikely that we'll see that sector transfer okay so uh, to to expand on that just a
1: little bit more uh uh-huh. so the, so so the listeners understand so basically um when we i released the bluefish and, and you know again i'm not trying to paint a bad picture here but the truth is um when we release the blue fish, we technically increase the commercial quota if we hit that certain number. So do you have a number on how many fish were actually transferred? And do we like get them back or does it just stay that way? So if they end up with
0: 20%, is that now their new base? Uh, yeah, there's a couple of things in there that I'll, I'll take on one by one. Um, over time, uh, since 2000, uh, there's been approximately uh, 80 million pounds that have been transferred um, from the rec sector to the commercial sector for an average of about 3.8 million pounds a year. Um, now, those transfers were happening at a time when – um, the best available science had thought that the bluefish stock was was doing well, uh, fishing was sustainable, and um, the recreational side was, you know, under-harvesting their limit. Now, the right. second side of that story, which you did bring up, is that many see this, um, recreational fishermen see this as a catch-and-release fishery, um, where abundance is really important. Um, and And they maybe don't want to see the the fish that they're releasing just being caught by commercial guys. Now we've we've held advisory panel meetings, uh, which are comprised of fishermen and in industry, both on the commercial and on the recreational side. and i've I've heard this um, being raised before. And I think those comments are really important for us to hear, especially as we enter, um, a new amendment, uh, both the Council and the Commission are in the process of uh, developing an allocation amendment, uh, looking at both sector allocations, meaning the recreational and commercial um, uh, quota limits, and then also looking at between states, and then other things such as um, the sector transfer are being analyzed. So it's, you know, important that we hear this, um if this is a big concern for recreational fisheries uh fishers um then it'll be important for us to know that um so pretty soon there will be another round of um scoping comment hearings um right. that will be going out um across uh the eastern United States, uh, looking at, you know, North Carolina, New York, Massachusetts, Um, While the details haven't been released yet, Uh, the council will be putting that out on their calendar and will be doing a press release. Um, So good turnout there and being able to hear those comments is really important for the process.
1: Yeah, I, I'm stressing to our audience that they are being heard like never before and I, I know this for a fact and I attribute it directly to social media and the ability for each individual angler to express how they feel and what their concern is. We, we've really never had that in the past. and. You know, uh, when we did, I did a, uh, a survey on Instagram, 24 hour survey on our Instagram account regarding circle hooks on striped bass, just to give you an idea. And the, uh, results were overwhelming. Like, uh, of the 750 people replied, over 500 were in favor of a slot. And, you know, I forwarded that over to fisheries managers and they all looked at it. You know, it's it's data we've never had. We knew the age of the person, you know, the gender. We knew everything about them. And, you know, we knew how they felt. It wasn't secondhand. And they have that ability now, and I know you folks are listening, and not to take away from any past um administrations or whatever you want to say, um, but I do know that you folks are listening because I've seen changes and I've seen things done that I, I, we could have never accomplished, uh, 20 years ago. So, um, to move on, um, I would, I have, I had some questions that I, I posted up on our website, newyorkangler.com, and then we, uh, posted, for one day on facebook and instagram we got a bunch of replies uh so i chose a few and um i'd like to ask you these questions so we can uh which you know these questions in particular were asked more than once so first we're going to start with captain 13. uh he was on newyorkangler.com and he asked if the fishery is in such bad shape why then is the commercial daily trip limit in New York just recently set to 5,000 pounds? Do you have an answer for that one? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know uh, if you could speak for New York. So,
0: Yeah, well I can't speak to why New York's commercial daily trip limit was set to 5,000 pounds. I can't explain how the commercial fishery is managed across the coast. Uh, right. So each state is allocated a percentage share of the coastwide quota. So New York is allocated approximately 10% of the coastwide quota, which for 2020 is 2.77 million pounds coastwide.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and the New York fishery managers have to ensure that the regulations they set up, like a daily trip limit, will be sure to keep the commercial harvest within their allocated limit. Um, So, if, you know, raising the the daily limit, you know, allows uh, commercial fishermen in New York to harvest the the quota faster, um, maybe that's a decision that they've made and and then maybe they reduce it later on. Um, So, it's really up to each individual state to craft their um, regulations so that they don't exceed that quota. And as long as the quota is not exceeded, um, uh, the commissioners are are content. <laughs> okay, great.
1: All right, next one is going to come from Rocket 7. This uh, gentleman has been involved in fisheries management. So um, he, uh, he asks a question that's asked over and over and over in a very controversial subject. And it is, will they continue with the for hire slash not for hire differential? How do they justify this beyond it's just their business? And I'll expand a little bit on that because, first of all, I'm neutral on this. It's whatever, uh, you know, you're going to come up with a number, so it kind of doesn't matter to me how they're going to be taken or cut up. Um, But... You know, there, there are other businesses that rely on bluefish like tackle shops, right? And tackle suppliers. So they rely on a surfcaster going out and be able, being able to catch what, whatever it is he wants to catch. Um, just as much as a charter boat captain would, uh, who feels they need to keep extra fish. Now they know their customers better than anyone. So I'm not going to doubt that that's what they would want. Um, and, and one more thing I want to point out is I've always been opposed to separating the rec angler from the rec business because we are tied in together. I've always felt as a rec advocate that we would be better off united with this organism, you know, with, with the – uh actual businesses that are producing, according to trickle down economics here on Long Island alone, three billion dollars and over ten thousand jobs. So, you know, all of this is is important and there is more to the, the equation than a charter boat, you know, needing to keep extra fish. Again, um I don't oppose it. I see the charter boat as being uh an Uber driver taking their customer to the spot to fish and then taking them back. They're not even allowed to keep, you know, keep fishing their quotas here in New York. Um, but, but is this something that the commission is going to continue to push for? We now have it in striped bass. I believe uh, we're headed for it in uh, sea bass and many other fisheries. Uh, is it, Uh, looking for this sector separation, which I believe it's known as.
0: Yeah, well, I can't, you know, predict what will be the case moving forward. I know that this is not a common um, measure and maybe explaining kind of how this decision came about might help shed some light here. So initially, the Bluefish Technical Committee's recommendation to the board, was a free fish bag limit for all recreational fishermen, regardless of whether they were on uh, the 4 hire side or not. However, the majority of comments from the public that we received and Bluefish Advisory Panel members expressed opposition to this option, uh, noting that it would have a severe economic consequence for the 4 hire sector, and uh, noting that the 4 hire sector is only responsible um, according to um, MRIP data, 3.6% of coastwide landings from 2016 to 2018. So that's a really at, small at, yeah. amount.
1: Yeah, much uh, smaller than uh, most anglers would think.
0: So go ahead. Um, and then the Bluefish Technical committee, technical Committee hearing this uh, re-ran the analysis looking at an increased bag limit for the four-hour mode. Um, looking at, you know, four fish, five fish, six fish, so on, and found that a 28.56% reduction, which is the reduction that we needed to stay within the limit uh, in landings, could still be achieved in 2020 if the four-hire sector was given a five-fish back limit, mainly a factor of the four-hire sector being such a small proportion of the overall recreational fishery. So after an extensive discussion, um, and thorough consideration of public comments at the December meeting, uh, the commission approved a three-fish bag limit for private and shore modes and a five-fish bag limit for the four-hire mode. So it wasn't a you know, knee-jerk reaction. It was kind of hearing what we uh, – taking the, the comments we heard from the public and the advisory panel and then rerunning the analysis and trying to come up with something that was – Fair and equitable, considering that um, the four-hire sector really depends on being able to sell their trips, and it's really important for their livelihoods. Okay,
1: um, let's go to the next one. Why drop from not From piqua he's uh, another. He's he's a true uh, conservationist, but he does like to take his fish home, and I have heard this. Um, from a lot of people on our Instagram account and uh, his question was why drop from 10 plus 5 which I guess he's meaning 10 over 12 and then you know the 5 under 12 or whatever way it was <laughs> I don't even know um, if overfishing was not responsible uh, few are targeting them anyway. I mean, this year, I can definitely say few were targeting. Um We look at posts. All all we do, that's like our business, you know, is to find pictures of what was caught and posted. And I have never, in all the years I'm doing this, seen such few bluefish that were posted. I mean, I know they popped in and out and we saw them, but, I mean, you know... Why would we bring the number down? Is it that bad? Does it need to be that? Is it that drastic? And um, the, the other reason people are concerned is, I'll kind of ball this up into one because we did have many people that were concerned about the three snappers and I heard it for many reasons because they like to eat snappers, because they like to use snappers as bait, uh, they feel it's the fishery that introduces their children. Truthfully, my answer to that is then, then introduce them right and teach them how to release their fish. But it is an argument, um, that, or a view that many recreational anglers have. So, so why, I guess the main question is, why the big rush, and is there any way for us to save the snapper fishery? And and the last thing I'll say is, will there be a minimum size? Will there be no more snapper fishery?
0: Yeah, no, those are, those are all great questions. Um, so unfortunately, uh, the 2019 operational stock assessment uh, did find that bluefish is overfished. And even though overfishing did not occur in 2018, um, overfishing has been occurring for many years now, and that's why it's a stock that is overfished. Think of overfished as a um, snapshot looking at where the stock is in terms of where we would like it to be, and think of overfishing as the amount of fish that we're removing and whether it's sustainably removing them or... um, overfishing in that particular year. So while 2018 was an uncharacteristically low year in terms of fishing for bluefish, the stock um, was already overfished and below the threshold um, at which stock scientists, um, stock assessment scientists thought um, that would be considered a sustainable, robust fishery. Um, So as you mentioned with minimum size, when the technical committee was looking at what management measures to pursue to ensure that overfishing doesn't occur in 2020, one of them was a minimum size limit. Um, and one of the big concerns there that we heard um, from the advisory panel as well is that you might eliminate the, the bait or snapper fishery if you raise the minimum size to reduce catch. So we wanted to avoid that. Um, keeping all those, uh, you know, shore based fishermen in mind and, and go with a three fish bag limit instead. Now, uh, we realized that, that, that's a, a pretty drastic measure going from 15 to three, or in the case of New York, 10 to three. Um, mm-hmm. but you have to remember that not everyone is harvesting. Every time they go out to fish is not harvesting 15 bluefish. Um, when you actually look at the data, that we collect um, from the Access Point Angler Intercept Survey, a lot of fishermen are catching one, two, three, maybe four um, fish. Um, so to receive that reduction that we're looking for to reduce overfishing and make sure that the stock can rebound to a healthy level, you have to decrease the bag limit quite significantly. Okay. And whole- and
1: I, you know, oh, Go ahead. ahead. I'm
0: sorry. The hope no, is that in the future, um, we would be able to, you know, increase that bag limit um, uh, higher again. Um, just right now, the, the stock being overfished, um, being at lower numbers, uh, to keep a sustainable fishing effort, uh, managers thought that a three-fish bag limit was appropriate.
1: Okay, so it's going to be a three-fish bag limit, which you're uh, obviously, what you recommended in the five fish and uh, and the snappers and all. Will the states have the option um, for conservation equivalency the way they do um, in other fisheries such as striped bass?
0: Yes. So under the commission's. Um uh, at conservation equivalency policy, states do have the option to put forward alternative proposals um, as long as they meet the same reduction that would be achieved from the three-fish bag limit for the four, uh, for the, excuse me, the ashore and private anglers and the five-fish bag limit for the four-hire sector. Um, so right now we're accepting state proposals um, and the decision will be made at the upcoming February meeting uh, with commissioners. Um, so some states are looking into that, doing their own public processes uh, as we speak. Okay.
1: All right. So I guess that that about wraps it up. Um, I don't know if you want to let our listeners know how to comment or where to comment or when to comment. I mean, they go to our website and. Uh, I try to uh point them to different things in different ways uh so you folks can learn and listen, which I know you're doing again more so than I've ever seen before um and this way here you know it'd be good not to have that uh that wreck uh commercial. Uh, Battle, which we always have. But I I am going to close and say that I am definitely opposed to any kind of transfer. I, I kind of feel that if we're trying, if I'm catching and releasing a fish, that I shouldn't be releasing it so that someone else someday could take it. So hopefully one day in fisheries management, the goal would be, Uh, you know, put the carrot out there. The goal would be to make us want to conserve. Um, I'm going to give you one example. A lot of people don't like that uh, New Jersey keeps the striped bass commercial quota for themselves. But that quota is, I think, around 250,000 pounds. And out of that, they take maybe 2,000 pounds a year. But if it was a commercial fish, they would have taken the 240,000 pounds. I don't mean that in a bad way. It's their business, you know. So so that's just my way of thinking. I know I'm not alone. Um I really do appreciate the time you've taken and I think you explained very well uh where we are with Bluefish, where we're headed and we're going to definitely uh keep our eyes open and uh you know, looking for what we need to do to make sure that, that you folks know, uh, what we can live with and, uh, you know, what, what plan, uh, we, we would like to see enacted. So again, if there's anything, you know, you'd like to say, do you want me to give out your email address, home address, home telephone number? No, I'm just kidding.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> So, um, yeah, so the, the best way that people can get involved um, is by voicing um, through their opinions through public comments uh, through the processes that we set up. Now, okay. a lot of people may be familiar with Twitter. So, uh, just the, probably the simplest and easiest way to stay up with go- what's going on with Bluefish management is by following at um, mid Fish which is the Council's Twitter handle. Um, if you're able to follow um, that Twitter, you can see when uh, public hearings are scheduled, you can see links to, um, for a public comment, um, and just generally staying up on what's going on. Like I said, um, the public hearings uh, for scoping for the upcoming Bluefish Amendment um, will, will be scheduled soon in February and March, um, and more information will, re- will be released on the Mid-Atlantic Council's website um, and following Twitter. Again, at Fish is an easy way to do that. Um, and then right. just to end right. with a, a note here, um, just to remind our listeners or your listeners that um, the Council and the Commission's primary goal is to prevent overfishing. Uh, to give bluefish the best chance to recover to a healthy stock level. We want fishermen to go out and be able to have a full day catching a 15-fish bag limit. We want everyone to be able to have access to these these really fun uh, fish who put up a good fight. Um, and the best way that we can do that is to involve our stakeholders in the process, um, make sure that we're not overfishing on a yearly basis, and ensure that we have an effective and fair path to uh, recovery of the stock. Well, that that sounds
1: like a great mission, and we're here to do whatever it is you say. So, um, yeah, I mean, we want the same thing. You know, we want, as you know, New York especially, not the our Horn, but we're a lit in conservation. We always have been. Uh, we took one striped bass when we could have taken two. We took, uh, 10 bluefish when we could have taken 15. We, we were the first state to enact a weak fish regulation of six fish way back in the day in the eighties. So we, you know, we have always led the way in conservation and we don't mind conserving as long as we know that, you know, it's resource first. So that that's just that we are. So I really appreciate it again. And one day I hope to follow up with you uh, when when you move on to some other position. So I could give you a hard time then.
0: <laughs> Thanks for having me.
1: Once again, I'd like to thank Colston for joining us here on this episode number eight, the milestone episode. For the New York Fishing Podcast. Again, I'd like to thank everyone. I'd like to thank my whole entire uh, moderator team over at nyangler.com or newyorkangler.com. We have new content being added daily. Watch shortly for uh, custom content, articles. We're going to bring it all to you and we're going to bring it all free. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You get a chance, please rate it. I know you can't do that online. You'd have to be uh, on an iPhone or an Android. Or I see people even listen uh, to the show now on their Apple Watch, which is actually pretty cool. I haven't tried that yet. So once again, thank you all. I appreciate you listening to the show. And before I sign off, I would like to remember my father, who passed away on the day before Christmas Eve this year. He was 92 years old. He was a World War II veteran. He moved us uh, from Queens out to Long Island in 1962. We had that five-horsepower Johnson in the garage and he would take it out. We would go to the Nessaqua. I can remember we had hand lines and we would rent a boat there. There was a boat rental place down in Kings Park and a gas dock and baits, and you know, the place was uh, pretty active at the time. And he would take us out and we would always catch. I mean, didn't matter where you set up, I guess, because we didn't fish that often. But every time we went, uh, we would catch. So my dad of 92, who had a very huge impression on my life, he was always there for me. I bought a home right around the block from him. I miss him dearly. Thank you, dad, for everything you've done. And until next
0: week. Thank you for listening to the New York Angler Podcast. You can find more on Fishing New York Waters at nyangler.com, your secret spot online.